0: Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's
1: C-O-N-C-U-R dot When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello,
2: everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. It was
0: a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13.
2: I take it you're not doing songs anymore.
0: No more songs, not movies. These are the first lines in novels. Oh. So if you know what novel that came from,
2: let us know. That's a novel idea.
0: It is. Uh There <laughs> was a second quote I almost used that was not a novel quote, but I, I almost used it, which is, 640k ought to be enough for anybody
2: <laughs> a uh, yeah and that's uh, that apparently is not an accurate quotation right but or at least but he says it's not it's
0: a it's us it's, it's a possibly apocryphal quote from uh, mr. Billy Gates I feel
2: like I've heard that name so yeah. today we are but I can't remember which is good because today we're going to be talking about memory yes or computer memory specifically
0: yeah and uh, uh, we had a lot of people request over the Over the the length of tech stuff, really, the entire time we've been doing this, we've had a lot of people ask us to do a podcast about RAM and to kind of talk about what RAM is, why you need it, and what does it do,
2: and how does it work? Which is funny because we kept not doing it because we thought we already had. As it turns out, not so much. I did a search
0: for the word RAM in our archives and uh, saw a lot of... programs, (laughs) Programs, <laughs> but not RAM. And I even yeah. searched for memory. and The only memory thing we've done is we talked about hard drives. Which, oh yeah, hard the the relationship between hard drives and memory is a close one. It's an important one. And uh, in fact, uh, if we did not have RAM, if we if we had not developed that, and we were relying solely upon the kind of memory that you would find in a typical hard drive,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, the traditional hard drive. Uh, computer operations would take much longer than what we're accustomed to.
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I can I can actually deliver a personal uh, commentary on that because my very first machine was an Amiga 1000, as uh-huh. uh, many people have known because I mentioned it several times in the podcast. And uh, that first machine that I had didn't have a hard drive on it. Um, so Commodore's instructions, when you first turn the machine on, you would, uh, once it, it got into boot-up mode you would see a copy of the kickstart disk kickstart basically loaded the operating system uh into ram into random access memory and then once that happened you could launch your workbench which is the equivalent of uh the desktop in mm-hmm. what you would see in windows linux or uh the mac os today um so you know without that uh you know when i got my first hard drive computer which was an amiga 3000 um, it had a 40 megabyte. Yeah, you can laugh at that hard drive, uh, which would automatically load the kickstart and get everything started up for you. So it it worked very much like our machines do now, but um, you know that that was that's one of those things that the the hard drive takes care of that you didn't that you don't have to do. Uh, now is load your operating system and all that stuff in there. There's also, it's also important to note the difference between RAM and ROM, I would say. Read-only yes. memory or ROM, um, also has a lot of that baked into the chips, uh, onto your computer. There are some things that are already in your computer that are part of the, uh, um, the physical hardware. Yeah. Um, but in, in read-only memory, uh, that memory is at accessed sequentially rather than at random, which is how random access memory got its name.
0: Right. And read-only memory, as the name implies, y- you can only read from that memory. You can't yes. write to it. Yeah. So in other words, it's unchanging. It is it is static. It will always be the way it is unless you were to physically remove the chips and replace them with other chips or other circuitry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always going to be the same way. And there's some devices that only have read-only memory.
2: Yeah, because that's all they require. And it's important to have. Yeah, it's um it's a very useful type of memory. But um when you're working on uh, a project, if you only had ROM and not RAM, you would have to burn a new ROM every time you wanted to save something to disk, and right. that would be a real pain.
0: So for example, if you were to look at uh the good old video game console market, especially if you were looking at the old cartridge-based uh, consoles, mm-hmm. the the Games, the cartridges you have, uh, that you would put, plug into your console had ROMs on them. That was the, the game itself was a ROM. Yes. And, uh, that's why if you talk about things like the, the MAME emulator, and I know that's, it's kind of like saying ATM machine. Yeah. But, uh, the emulator for arcade machines, uh, that you can run on certain computers, the emulator's job is to, to, uh, mimic the circuitry uh, that you would find within an arcade machine to run a specific ROM or game. So ROMs are used in devices, and in some cases are, on- are the only uh, thing within that device. Uh, there might be some other memory there to do things like keep track of a high score. That's a little different, but uh, but in general... Um, you, you you know th- there are certain devices that will only have ROM RAM. However, is very important for the way we use computers today. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of RAM as it's a it's a temporary storage yes. facility yeah mm-hmm. for a computer right. So it's where you could temporarily store instructions and data so that uh, your computer's processor doesn't have to go hunting through your hard drive system in order to find the relevant information to execute a command. Um, The way I like to think about this is if you're a student, imagine that you have a textbook filled with facts. We'll say physics. It's a physics textbook. All right. And you've got a test coming up and you've created a crib sheet for you to study from. And the crib sheet has bulleted points on it about the major things you're going to be covering in your next physics test That crib sheet is kind of like RAM in the sense that you can make little notes, you can erase stuff, you can replace things, and uh, it has a good instruction set for you to work from. Now, occasionally you might come across a problem, let's say you're working on some homework that's going to prepare you for this test, and you've got your crib sheet in front of you, and you're working on your homework question, and you realize that the information that you need is not on the crib sheet. It doesn't go that deep. So you have to go to the textbook to refer to the right section to learn the the stuff you need in order to answer that question. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like your computer. Your CPU is going to refer back to the memory to see if the information it needs is there, and if it's... If the information goes beyond that little memory, if it's something that has to actually access the hard drive, it'll go to the hard drive. Same sort of idea.
2: Yeah, and um, I would just like to note that uh, when I said that ROM could only be accessed sequentially, that's wrong. I was actually thinking of serial access memory, or SAM. Right. I apologize right, right, for right, right. that. Yeah. Uh, I haven't had enough coffee this morning, apparently. But yeah, serial access memory is uh, is another form of memory that's not used nearly as often today as it used to be but uh, back when we had tape drives yeah, um, you know yes. you used to have to go all the way through the tape until you got to the part where it had the information you needed right? Um, like, like, rather than accessing it it's just the same as if you had piece. a
0: cassette tape Mm-hmm. Right. If you yeah. had an old cassette tape with music on it, and you wanted to listen to a specific song, yeah. you had to for- fast forward or play through the tape until you got to the song you wanted. Yeah, and then you could listen to it. You couldn't just jump right to the song. Uh, for our younger listeners, this might seem like a completely foreign concept, but yes, uh, uh, lots of us used to listen to cassette tapes, and uh, if you were really lucky, you had like the eight-track tapes where your options were even more limited. Mm-hmm. In order to to navigate to the next song,
2: yes, but ROM doesn't necessarily work that way. No, so I apologize for that.
0: But random access memory, uh, there there's certain there are different kinds of it. One of the most common is dynamic RAM.
2: Yeah, that's that's probably the most uh, yeah. versions of that are probably the most uh, common used in computers today.
0: Yeah, and uh, and the way that random access memory, dynamic random access memory is is uh, arranged is that you can imagine a grid. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And the uh, the columns, there are columns and there are rows. And where these intersect, you ha- have memory cells. Yeah. Now, a memory cell, the most basic memory cell is essentially a transistor and a capacitor. Yeah. And the capacitor can hold a charge. If the capacitor is holding a charge, the memory cell is registering as a one. If the capacitor is not holding a charge, it's registering as a zero. The transistor acts as a switch so, that allows the, uh, the various things. It allows the computer to be able to read those particular cells and also to recharge those cells. Because here's the thing about capacitors. They drain. They do drain. Yeah, they, they, they can hold a charge. They're, they're sort of like a battery, though they are not identical, so don't assume that they're the same thing. But they're, they, they fulfill similar functions. Capacitors usually release their energy in a burst as opposed to over a prolonged time. Yeah. But, yeah, the capacitors, the the energy drains from the capacitors so they have to be recharged uh, regularly and rapidly in mm-hmm. order for them to maintain that charge and hold on to what we call a state. Yes. The state of that memory cell. So the state is either a one or a zero. If it's a one, the computer has to continually send energy to that uh, cell in order for it to maintain a one until the memory needs to be written over, in which case it, it might be a one again or it might be a zero. It all depends on what the information is. And you've got the, like I said, you've got columns and you've got rows. And, uh, the way the computer works is it has all these different little, um, uh, components to it that will, uh, detect what the current state is of all those different memory cells in order to be able to, uh, To, to pull the right information. And in fact, the computer keeps a record of which memory cell it needs to go to because you can think of the intersection of that column and that row as an address.
2: Yeah, if you think about it as a, uh, a, a piece of graph paper. Yeah. Kind of. The computer just basically keeps track of, uh, you know, where each item is in that memory.
0: Yeah, if you think of the columns as like things like A, B, C, D, E, F, You know, sort of like, uh, think of it kind of like a game of battleship. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, you got the, you got the columns that are maybe A through Z, and then you have 1 through 26 as the rows, and you want to look at A4. Well, Mm -hmm. then you know exactly where to go to, to pull up that information. You don't have to, you don't have to go through the entire sequence of memory cells in order to get at that information. That's a very simplistic way of saying what is happening with this dynamic random access memory.
2: One of the uh, disadvantages here though is that, um, having to refresh that memory constantly means that you're essentially slowing down the memory. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, a, a problem. It's, yeah. it's something that, that requires a lot of energy. It requires, uh, that you're constantly, re- constantly refreshing it and it slows down your memory. Now, mm-hmm. um, having more memory in your computer is a good thing. Um you know remember when we talked about 32-bit and 64-bit yeah. systems um you know your your operating system and your computer depending on how they work together can uh address a certain amount of computer memory um and uh you know with uh if you have if you are not taking advantage of the uh, maximum capacity of memory or at least you know the as much as your computer can hold Um, not only is it having to uh, fit whatever programs you're trying to run on top of the operating system in that amount of memory, it's also uh, dealing with uh, constantly having to refresh that memory so it can really slow your computer down. Yeah, Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton
0: to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team Always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience.
3: Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, have fun but then he would treat me like crap listen to on purpose with jay shetty on the iHeartRadio app apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts trust me you won't want to miss this one
0: going back to the grid really quickly the the columns along this grid are called bit lines Mm -hmm. the rows are called word lines and then the the intersection is the memory cell address so uh the when you are to, when you want to write information or when your computer needs to write information to your RAM in order for the CPU to be able to have access to it to make things run smoothly, uh, first it starts sending electricity through the column area, mm-hmm. so through the bit line, um, individual bit line. And then the computer sends uh, electricity through the appropriate word lines, the right rows. So – Let's say that you you know that you're 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 activating column D. That's the one that's being um, that el- electricity is running through right now. Right. And you know that rows five, twelve, and twenty-three need to have need to be activated because those memories the the memory cells at those addresses at the intersection of of uh, column D uh, need to be active in order for the information to be there. The computer sends this information. The transistor allows the uh, the capacitors to take on that that uh, charge, and then there's a, a little um, sensor, uh, uh, actually there's a sense amplifier as well, that receives the signal that says this capacitor has is has a state of one, mm-hmm. and that's what allows the computer to know you know if it's a one or a zero. And collectively, all those ones and zeros give it the information it needs. Now, uh, all of this happens. In a matter of a few nanoseconds. Yeah. So don't think like this is taking ages. It, it's it's billionths of a second yeah. for, for this stuff.
2: When I say slow, I would put that in quotes. It's slow.
0: Right. Slow like the way we feel when we put something in the microwave for a minute and we're thinking, why isn't it done yet? <laughs> that kind of slow. Slow is relative. Yes. It's not slow as in you put something in the oven and four days later you've got turkey. Uh, the... <laughs> I put an old boot
2: in there and suddenly there's a
0: turkey. That's the way it worked, isn't it? No. Oh, well, I need to go home after this podcast. <laughs> but I, at least I'll have some warm boots. Uh, yeah, so this this is all taking just uh, uh, nanoseconds for each individual transaction, milliseconds for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But it's happening repeatedly until that memory is getting rewritten. And it's happening, you know, it's changing rapidly because uh, that's – the nature of, of memory. If you're running a lot of different applications, then uh, your memory might be filling up pretty quickly with all this information. That's why the more applications you run, if you're re- if you're using an older machine and you're running a lot of different applications, you might feel like your everything's kind of sluggish. And uh, mm. that's why people will tell you, uh, like, oh, well, you need to close some of these applications because it's taking up space in the memory and the CPU is having to work harder to get the information it needs to ex- To execute your commands, so uh, you know that that's how that all plays in. That's why people say, "Oh, well, if you want your computer to go faster, you need more memory because then you can you can actually run more applications." That tends to be a very common problem that people run into. Yeah, right. They're, they're like, "My computer's so slow," and you look at it, and you're like, "Well, you got 15 applications open, and three of them are pretty heavy duty, uh, you know, or graphics intensive, or whatever, sure. something that's going to require a lot of of processing." That would be why. I mean, it's both processor speed and the amount of memory you have. The two are very much important. And also, when we talk about Moore's law, Moore's law plays into the into memory as well. Yeah. Uh, because dynamic random access memory, the nice thing about it is that well, two nice things about it is that it's relatively inexpensive, and it it doesn't take up a lot of physical space when you're designing memory chips. Uh there are other types of random access memory not just dynamic there's static random access memory. And static random access memory uses uh, uh something a logic construction called a flip-flop.
2: Yes. It's not a sandal. I was going to say you're going to put not in, those it's in, not in your the oven. oven
0: and it comes out as chicken.
2: Right, right. I already
0: know that doesn't work. <laughs>
2: hmm. Well the static random access memory um yeah I mean it it, it one of the uh, benefits of using now, yeah, flip flops. Actually, we uh, you go back to the Boolean logic, yeah, um, reference. But uh, f- basically, a static RAM uh, has the uh, benefit of being a lot faster, yeah, than dynamic RAM.
0: Well, um, for one thing, what it does is once it has a state, it will hold that state until you tell it to change. So it doesn't, in other to words, be refreshed. It does yeah, it doesn't require to be recharged. It doesn't have a, a capacitor that is leaking energy and has to be refilled. So, so once I, you once you once you set a flip-flop to 1, it's going to stay a 1 till you tell it to be a 0.
2: So, that sounds great. Why don't we use static RAM instead of dynamic RAM for our, you know, main RAM in our computers? Two reasons. One,
0: it takes up more space. So, you end up having problems like especially with things like mobile devices or or laptop computers. You start running into the problem of, well, you can only fit so much into a form factor before it gets clunky, right?
2: Right. You need more transistors for static RAM.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Four to six for each flip-flop. Mm-hmm. So that's, and each flip-flop is, is representing one memory cell. Yeah. So, and uh, granted, these transistors that we're talking about are on the nanoscale at mm-hmm. this point. You know, yeah. we're talking about tiny, tiny, tiny transistors, but even so, those add up mm-hmm. if you need to have the amount of memory that you're accustomed to. So they are, they take up more space and they're more, much more expensive. Uh, so static RAM is not something you're going to find in every single kind of device. Although as, you know, as the technologies improve, those prices do tend to go down. So we do see more and more of that, but dynamic RAM is still probably, I would say, the most popular by far. Um, there, there's another potential change coming up. Uh, a, a new development that could really, uh, impact this, which we can get into in a little bit.
2: Okay. Yeah, I was going to mention, too, though, that that static RAM can be found in your computer, probably, because um, if you've seen a list of computer specifications, perhaps when you're shopping for a new machine and you see the cache referred to, um, your computer's cache is uh, probably static RAM. Yeah, a lot of
0: CPUs have this built in. uh, Yes. A lot of the ones that use multi-threading uh, that have, uh, multi-core processors. Mm-hmm. A lot of these CPUs have their own uh, sections of memory built in. It's not, it's not your computer's RAM. It's something that's specifically part of the CPU chipset that is, uh, there to help make, make those, those data transfers even faster mm-hmm. so that it makes it very efficient. And for the, the most commonly used commands, uh those would be stored within the the cache so mm-hmm. in that crib sheet example i gave let's say that you even had a little note card next to your crib sheet that had the four formulas you're going to use the most frequently in that physics test and so you've got those there because this way no matter what you know you just have to glance at the at the note card and you're like ah that's that's the formula i need and you plug it in and you make it uh you make it work in whatever the problem is mm-hmm. Your CPU is really really good at executing operations upon data. Yeah. But it's stupid in the sense that as soon as it's as soon as it's finished doing that, it's forgotten. Huh? There's no yeah, it has no memory of its own other than this this cache that we're talking about. A CPU on its the, the very basic CPU has no memory. So it can do stuff, but as soon as the task is done, it's like a blank slate all over again. Yep. That's that's why we have to have memory in order to uh get this to work. If if the CPU could somehow remember on its own, then you'd have other issues like well, now you need it to do something new. So how do you write over what you had before? Do you just add to it? If you add to it, how long until you reach capacity and you can't do anything with that CPU other than the stuff that you've already done.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, this is why the whole idea of the the random access memory that could be rewritten very quickly was so important because otherwise you limit the the functions that your computer is capable of doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this computer is great at adding and subtracting and dividing, and after that uh, you can't do anything else because that's. I I was about to install Pac Man, but darn it, I already took up all of its space with these three functions.
2: Well, yeah. So you've got uh, and and we're we're sort of. Uh, filling out the whole computer. So you got your your CPU yeah. and you've got a cache yep. to help it remember stuff that it needs to uh, do basic operations. Right. And then you got your your memory, your RAM, your dynamic RAM that that's over here managing the stuff that you've got going on. Your your WordPressing your word uh, uh, processor uh, stuff and your your graphics uh, program, the stuff that you have browser, open. Your browser, thing. your your email program, but. You also have, uh, in your modern computer, you've got your graphics processor chip. And in a lot of cases, um, and, and I'm, I'm just hedging my bets here that somebody has some weird computer that doesn't have this. It also has, uh, its own RAM. Yeah. Um, to help it process, specifically process graphics. Yep. Um, so that RAM in general is off limits to the rest of the machine, uh, because it's saying, no, 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 this memory is specifically to help us Render graphics on the screen so that the user can, uh, see everything that he or she wants to see from the other programs. So it's not handling programs, it's handling graphics. We
0: have, we have seen some processors recently that are able to tap into the graphics processing units as well and be able to, uh, to utilize those to process particularly difficult problems or, or powerful, you know, time consuming problems to try and reduce the, Amount of time it takes to, uh, to get through that application. Yeah. Uh, so uh, in, in fact, we're seeing, we're seeing both sides, right? We're seeing, yeah. uh, CPU manufacturers get into ha- adding in elements that specifically tackle graphics processing. Yeah. And we've seen graphics processing unit manufacturers get into handling more basic processing, uh, uh functions so uh the two worlds are have been colliding for probably the last well for for quite a quite a while but really visibly for the last two years
2: yeah i'm thinking specifically of apple's grand central technology uh one of those things in snow leopard that people didn't really care about but it was actually supposed to uh improve the operating system but yeah, i was uh, mainly
0: thinking of intel sandy bridge which had its own graphics processing element added into it
2: and the thing is that uh so, the, so the rule that we were just talking about is, is going to be shifting uh, as time goes on, and uh, processor manufacturers of all kinds are more sophisticated. The operating systems become more sophisticated and able to take advantage of these changes. Um, but that's kind of the way it works out. And I just wanted to illustrate the fact that uh, RAM can be used to support a number of computer functions. You'll mm-hmm. also see it in, you know, all kinds of other devices that use memory, cameras. Um, cars, mm-hmm. all kinds of, of technologies that use computer processing that you may or may not necessarily think of as of having computers inside, but, uh, you know, they, they have some form of RAM in there. Now, of course, uh, RAM has gotten more sophisticated itself over time, too, and you do you want to talk about uh, some of the older types or do you want to talk about the improvements you were just about to mention?
0: Well, um I have something leading up into the improvements. If you have a, if you have information about older types of memory, i would more than happy to hear it. I, I personally did not uh, research that, so I have none of that information in front of me.
2: Okay. All right. Well, um, I, I have some of it, and and really, this could probably get kind of dry. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, as as time has gone on, you've been able to see. You were talking about Moore's Law, mm-hmm. which, of course, uh, says that the number of transistors on a processor chip will double in well, – What originally it was uh, two years, and well, is now it, it, a year it's, and a half. It's, or wait, I'm sorry. It, that's backwards.
0: It, it, yeah, it, it tends to go back and forth between 12 months to 24 months, and 18 to 24 tends to be the most frequently cited figure. So mm-hmm. depending on any given year, you'll hear, oh, well – uh, it's one of those things that the Moore's Law gets gets validated in retrospect, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to look back two years ago and look and see how many transistors were found on a CPU. Or, like we're saying here, a memory circuit. That also can apply. If you can fit twice as many transistors on a memory circuit, then that's another example of Moore's Law
2: holding true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, as far as the... The memory chips have gone. There's been uh, a, a wave of advances over the last couple decades in which more and more processors are are added. The way that they're accessed is, has changed. I remember with my Amiga 3000, they used a very unusual type of memory called zips in which the pins that you used to plug them in were uh, basically a zigzag. There was a pin on one side, then there was one on the other side, then there was one on the other side, you know, and it flipped back and forth between them. Only a very few computers used that type of technology. Right. Um, when I got a Mac, it used SIMS, uh-huh. um, which is a single inline memory module. Um, you can actually find quite a bit about the different types of memory on, uh, we referred to it in our, uh, How RAM Works article on yes. howstuffworks.com, but it's, uh, on Kingston's website and it's, um, you know, it talks about the different types, but the single inline modules were an improvement over the, the older technology and then they came out with the dual inline memory modules. Um, and they, basically it's a little itty bitty card. Um, it's long, um, but it has a series of chips soldered yeah. into it um and those are the the memory chips.
0: Right, in the old days you actually had to install a memory chip oh, directly into the motherboard.
2: Yeah, this is the this sort of predates the uh, the more I would say the 90s and 2000s computers. This is yeah. like the and, 80s yeah, and, and the before.
0: Old, right, so if you wanted to upgrade your computer it actually meant opening up your computer, oh man, disconnecting the motherboard and then uh, possibly um, depending on how the memory chip was designed, you might even have to do some soldering. But, yeah. um, but get, you know, install a new memory chip so that your computer would have more memory. Uh, eventually, improvements included uh, designing something called a memory bank, mm-hmm. where you had uh, a port essentially that you could plug in a card that had a certain number of memory chips of a certain capacity. Yeah, and then uh, as technology improved you could replace that card with a card that had a greater capacity now keep in mind that, that your computer cpu would determine how much memory your computer could actually use there would yeah. you would reach a point where it wouldn't matter if you could buy a card with more memory your cpu wouldn't be able to access it yeah it had a it had limitation on that so there were you know you that's why if you were to look at computer specs and see like you know upgradable up to whatever, that's the reason why, is that the yeah. CPU itself has that limitation. And so, um, you know, some, you know, the, in America, at least, we have this philosophy of more is better. But there's a certain point where, depending on the machine you're using, you, more isn't going to do you any good because mm-hmm. your computer simply cannot use it.
2: Yeah. yeah, and that's actually sort of the source of Jonathan's uh, earlier quote, Um, I mean, just the idea behind it is that, you know, there's only so much you can use. Um, DIMS actually had chips on both sides of that, uh, circuit board and was, were able to handle more memory and, and more quickly. And, you know, from there we've moved, um, moved forward. I won't get into, to all of it, but we really got into the, uh, more advanced types of memory in the 2000s when we got into, um, uh, the, um, dynamic RAM, yeah, and uh, that that made things a lot more. And basically, uh, what they've done is over the period of time made the transfer of information more efficient. They've increased the number of transistors and the amount of uh, information that could be stored on a single uh, card with the RAM in it. Right, and it's just uh, it's just done some made some significant improvements over the past few years.
0: Running a business is no cakewalk.
3: Listen to a brand new season of math and magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Right, and, and memory relies on something called a memory controller. Yes. That's part of what maintains, like, it determines... Uh, when to write to memory cells. It also helps read the memory cells. It, it's, it's kind of like a manager, mm-hmm. right? But it also uh, has to check the memory. Whenever it's getting information back from memory, it has to check it for errors. Mm-hmm. And uh, depending on what kind of system you're using, uh, you might have a memory chip with just with a built in error checking uh, technology, which is uh, called a parity check. Yes. So checking for parity to make sure that the information it's it's delivering is accurate. Uh, um, there are a lot of different ways of doing this, but um, one is so we talk about information in in the computer world in terms of bits and bytes, right? Mm-hmm. And a byte is uh, eight bits, which kind of represent a unit of information, yeah. of of useful information. Because each bit is itself a unit of information, but in order for it to be useful for a computer, we, we group them in, uh, groups of eight. Uh, standard now, although it wasn't when computers first were developed, there mm-hmm. were several different competing, um, I guess you could call them standards, because they were standard amongst a certain group of computers, but, uh, we kind of settled on this whole eight bit is a byte model. Mm-hmm. And with parity, they, there's a, an extra bit added on to the end, and, uh, that bit is um, it's you, kind of a, a a marker, right?
2: Yeah, it's basically used for error checking.
0: Yeah, so if if the uh, for example, it, it looks at how many of the the bits within that byte are ones versus zeros. So if all of the if there are an odd number of ones in that byte, because remember that's eight bits, if there's an odd number, the parity bit is set to one. If it's an even number, the parity bit is set to zero. So then, when the data is being processed, the totals added up again, and it's checked against the parity bit. Yeah. Now, if that matches, the assumption is that the that byte is correct. It's accurate. Yeah. And everything's cool. If it comes up as a, a, a conflict, then that's a message to say, dump this information because something has gone wrong. Yeah. Now the parity bit does not tell you what the information is. It just is a shorthand way of saying, all right, are there an even number of ones in this byte? Yes. Well, then something's gone wrong. Yeah. It doesn't tell you what the information is or why it's wrong. It just says, that's not what I got when I added it up. Right. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, and then there's that that's called even parity. That's the that particular model. That's just one way of doing it. There's also odd parity, which is kind of the same idea except you know, if it's an odd number of ones, then it's considered a zero. If it's an even number of ones, it's considered a, a one. But um, uh there's also the error correction code method. Which goes a little bit further. This is, this is, so you've got parity that tells you there's a problem. Error correction is to try and step in when there's a problem and fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, it uses uh, additional bits to monitor the information that, it, the actual information that's in the byte. So, um, it's looking at the information itself, not just a, a, a summary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uses pretty complicated algorithms to try and, uh, head off any problems. So there, are, you know, this has to be built in because occasionally things go wrong. Sometimes something doesn't trip when it's supposed to trip, and uh, your CPU doesn't necessarily know that. You know, CPU is just working on what's given to it. So again, since the CPU can't remember what it did last <laughs> in its last nanosecond, it's just saying, "All right, I got to uh, execute this particular operation against this particular set of information." It doesn't. Know or care if it's the correct operation or information set. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have to have that error correction in there in some places. Uh, it's not always in the memory controller uh, chip. Sometimes it's part of the CPU. It's it. It all depends on the architecture of the computer system itself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now um, it's also important to note um, uh, that as memory uh, improvements have changed. Uh, the way of of doing this has changed and of course uh the, probably the uh the type of ram that you have in your computer if you've got a more recent uh computer is uh the a version of the double data rate synchronous dram dynamic ram mm-hmm. or uh, uh ddr and you know ddr2 ddr3 um sd ram but that's uh you know that's changing as you were saying there are improvements being made. I know one of the, the types of memory that people have been talking about is magnetic RAM, Yep. Uh, which is supposed to basically give you an instant on uh, situation when you turn your computer on because uh, it can store the information and pull it up immediately, and you don't have to worry about a long boot-up sequence as the RAM is getting uh, populated with information. Right,
0: yeah. The idea here is to have something, some sort of system in place that can maintain a state Mm-hmm. without the need for uh the electrical impulse to go through and boot it up right right so another potential solution uh although this is one that is still being developed is the memristor
2: ah yes memristors
0: these are interesting things uh it's kind of difficult it's really complicated to to get into detail but in in from a bird's eye perspective uh a memristor is a an electrical component. Mm -hmm. All right. And if you run current through a memristor in one direction, the electrical resistance increases. Okay. If you run current through the opposite way, the resistance decreases. Now, once the current stops moving through the memristor holds on to whatever the last resistance was. So if you ran it through the first way, then the resistance has been is stays at its increased level. Mm -hmm. If you, if you last ran it through the opposite way, then it's going to be at its decreased level. Right. Well, that's that's a two-bit system, right? You yeah. Could, you could assign one of those a one and the other one a zero, and once you ran through that once, uh, it would make it would hold on to that information, and it takes up much less space than the typical memory transistors do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's smaller and it will hold on to whatever the state is until you tell it that you know you want it changed. By by, and you tell it by running the electricity through it one way or versus the other. Yeah. Does Um, the
2: computer have to remain plugged in for this to work?
0: No. Once you've once you've done it, once you've run the current through, you can turn the current off and the memristor retains that resistance. Okay. So the only thing that has to happen is the computer has to be able to, de- to detect what the resistance is of that memristor. Okay. So once it detects what the state is, then you've got that information already there. So it could be used in various kinds of processors as well as memory. And because it's smaller, you could at least potentially cram far more memory into a smaller space than what is capable using uh, right now through transistors. So this is this is a potential Way to keep Moore's law going. In fact, if the developments were to progress at a at a good clip, we could almost leapfrog, yeah, quite a bit because the the potential is that it would revolutionize uh, processing and memory all in a in a a fell swoop,
2: a swell foop. Yeah. Now I'm not sure that the Borg would agree. Mm. I'm sure that they say that anything involving resistance is futile. Yes.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. And it's something that's, uh, was first proposed back in 1971. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, HP Labs has been working on it diligently. Um, and in fact, in 2008 announced that it was developing switching, uh, memristors. So, uh, these are, these are the sort of technologies that I think are going to become f- far more important in the near future because, yeah. Again, we've talked about this before about how the the world is moving to mobile devices, mm-hmm. literally in some cases, but that mobile devices are becoming increasingly important. Well, with a mobile device, you have a much more limited amount of space that you have to work within. Sure. And so something like a memristor which could at least at least in theory pack a much larger punch in a much smaller package, it could create the uh, the super super duper smartphones that we yeah. all want, mm-hmm. Since mm-hmm. super smartphones are already on the horizon.
2: Mm. Okay. Well, I, you know have secret identities too. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so RAM is pretty ubiquitous. I mean, it's in, in just about anything that that computes. Yeah. Um, and you know the technology is, has been fairly standard for for several years now. Um, you know, with minor improvements uh, over the past decade or so, but. Um, you know, it, with with uh, computer scientists working on improvements, uh, completely different technologies. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to improve that because it's it's critical to basically any type of computing that you want or need to do. Right. Um, so it's uh, it's very basic. I'm glad we we looked at it because it's uh, it's vastly important to our our daily world these days. It's
0: definitely one of the basic building blocks yeah. of. Of the computing age, I mean, you know, you talk about it's not as it's not as basic as say a transistor, no. right? It's like a level up, so it's kind of on the molecule scale as opposed to the atom, atomic scale, right? It, re- it relies molecular. on transistors, yeah. So it's it's a little more complex than just the basic basic building blocks, but it, without it, uh, computing would not be nearly as useful as it is, uh, because it would take far more time to process mm-hmm. operations. And even – again, even if you have the fastest CPU, if it can't access memory, then all it's going to do is just be very quick when it needs to uh, to uh find information on the hard drive. Mm-hmm. And then it's all dependent upon how fast the hard drive can deliver the information to the CPU. The memory allows the CPU to skip that step, and it just makes things much faster. Yeah. Now, another potential memristor thing I should say – is that if you designed a hard drive out of memristors, you could, in theory, have your hard drive act as memory. Hmm. It would be, it would, it could, in theory, behave in a very similar fashion, which means you could potentially just incorporate RAM directly as part of what the hard drive does, and then you wouldn't need RAM anymore. Which also means that you could load stuff up at, at a, at, at, in the blink of an eye. Yeah. And that would be phenomenal. Uh, Again, that's a potential uh that we may come to see one day. It's not something that you're going to see on the market. I don't know. Well, I haven't gone to CES yet, so maybe <laughs> Hey, look, it's a Rister machine. <laughs> Can I take it? Yeah, no. Does the tilde key work? Oh. All right, then. Yeah, let's wrap this up. Guys, if you have any questions about any particular subject you would like us to talk about, you have uh, suggestions for topics, let us know. You can tell us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And stay tuned to Tech Stuff because our email is changing. We don't have it yet, so I can't give it to you. But techstuffathowstuffworks.com will only work for a short, limited time. So keep your ears tuned and in a future episode of Tech Stuff we will give you our new address. I hope you guys enjoyed the show and Chris and I will talk to you again when we remember.
1: Be sure to check out our new video podcast Stuff from the Future. Join House Stuff staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House Stuff works iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no
0: cakewalk. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I-can't-believe-how-simple-that-is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office... With SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C O N C U R.com.
1: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner.